I don't know why sometimes these periods come where you start thinking about different people. I've been thinking about my, my dad, who some of you knew uh, lately. This is his hammer. <laughs> and there's like no other symbol that more captures my dad than, than this big old hammer that, um, that he would always have whenever we were working on remodeling different things. And um, for just about every Saturday, at least a, a couple Saturdays a month for about 10 years in our first house in Phoenix, we were working on some project, just constantly remodeling. And this goes back to actually, you know, I came by it honestly because my dad growing up was always working on our house and it was hard on my mom, but it was fun for me <laughs> because, you know, I remember one house where we had this between the kitchen and the master bathroom, there was the concrete was all broken and there was a six foot hole into the dirt and you could see the pipes through and he had put uh, like a, a two by 10 or something across like a plank across and I could be Luke Skywalker fighting against, you know, Darth Vader and Cloud City walking across there thinking I was something really cool and and living in a remodel it just, it just is challenging. We would have people over while we're in the middle of this. Every month we had what we called First Fridays. And we would try to clear out the space and say, okay, come on in. But you know, you know, they're looking at bare walls with just two by fours showing. <laughs> we did a lot of demolition. There's that same hammer <laughs> in the wall. There's my dad working, um, probably putting up some insulation in this extension we did. And this is that same room that we extended out and made into a bigger room. This is while we're still working on the outside. We redid all of this as new, and you can see the paper, brown paper up on the wall there as we're working on it. But eventually, we finished up right after we got this job and decided to sell the house and move here. So we finished the house and lived in it for like two weeks. And then someone else got to live in this house. We'd been dreaming of what it could be. What would be our ideal house and building for a decade or more? And I know it was hard on Adrian as well to just be constantly working on stuff. You know, you want to have your home that you can settle into. But the fact is, you in your life, are living through a remodel your whole life if you're doing it right as a disciple is working on projects within yourself you want to just settle into a home that just okay I finally got it all figured out I know who I am I know what I can do I know what I want my habits to be and I'm done finally but that's not what discipleship is. The whole idea of being a disciple is learning and growing and training to be like Christ. You are under a process, as, as Robert said really well, really appreciate you tying that in, and the songs. You are undergoing inner renovations. In Philippians chapter 1, and verse 6, we read that God who began a good work in you, God began this work, will bring it to completion. 
God is, he's not giving up on you, but you're not done. You're not a finished product. God started this work whenever, you know, he called you to himself and made a way for you to come to him. And he has big things in store for you, for you to be like Jesus. And he's going to keep working on you. Does that mean that it's all going to be taken care of by God like a zap? No. In chapter 2, verse 12 of Philippians, a little bit later in the book, he says, you continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. But then the next verse he says, for it is God who is at work within you to will and to work for his good pleasure. It's a partnership, but God is working in you and you need to keep working. Because Paul says in, in verse 12 of chapter 3, the next chapter, I haven't obtained it yet. I'm not complete. I'm not perfect. But one thing I do in verse 13, I strain forward. I'm reaching. It's this metaphor of a, of, a, of a race. I am giving all of my, straining all of my muscles, giving my last ounce of strength to reach for that goal. I'm striving for it. I forget what's behind and I look forward to what I need to become and where I'm going to go and where the end of my story is. And I'm looking towards that. And he says in verse 16, the mature, if you're mature, think this way. And if you're not, if you don't think this way yet, then God will reveal that to you. Only don't fall backwards from where you are. Keep holding to what you've obtained and moving forward. It's a constant process of continuing to grow. Paul uses this interesting metaphor in 2 Corinthians 5, 1 to 10, of this earthly house, the body, and our life here. Like an earthly, it's like a, he says, it's like a tent here. This is just temporary. But we're not going to go unclothed, but someday we're going to have a house. You know, our, our resurrection body. But while we're here... In this earthly house, in this, in this work that we're doing, uh, we need to keep pressing forward towards that final destination. And it's kind of like life as a house. You don't really want everyone to see this in-progress work that you are. You want, you know, it'd be nice for everybody to see, no, I've got it all figured out. You invite them over to your house. And there's sawdust on the floor and there's beams showing, but that's who we all are. Everyone you know is a work in progress. You ever go to a store, maybe a supermarket, and they're in the middle of a remodel and you have to, it's kind of a hassle, you got to go behind a pallet to get your cereal and you're working through everything. And they have these signs up. I used to make these signs at the ad agency I worked at, did a lot of signage for supermarkets, and they would say something like, pardon our dust while we renovate. Pardon our dust. Please excuse us, but we are designing something better for you for the future. Maybe, maybe we should imagine that everyone around us, the preacher, definitely, her elders, our deacons, your parents, kids, your heroes, everyone you know is wearing around their neck a pardon our dust sign. We need some patience with each other. As Paul says in Colossians 2, 12 to 14, we need compassion and patience and forbearance and forgiveness, knowing they're not yet 
what they ought to be. That's a phrase that Paul uses a lot. He uses it in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 2, and chapter 8, verse 2, when he says, you know, you are not yet what you ought to be. You are still carnal in your mind. You're not yet what you ought to be. Or in chapter 8, verse 2, if anybody thinks he knows, then he doesn't yet know what he ought, as he ought to know. But knowledge puffs up and love builds up. But the one who loves knows God and is known by God. And so what he's saying is he's saying to these Corinthians, I'm done with you. You are not what you ought to be. No, he's writing a letter to them because he loves them. He's going to write another letter later. He's going to come. He is investing in them because he's saying there's a whole world of difference between not what you ought to be and not yet what you ought to be. See the hope? See the, the forward-looking progress? You're not yet there, but you're, you're getting there. You're on your way. And that's where we all are. There is hope for the Christian because it's not just us on our own. God is working in us, and together we are building a house that is our life. That is who we are meant to be. So we need to be patient with each other, but patient with ourselves as well, knowing. I'm not saying settle. That's the opposite of this message of the lesson. But no, it's true. You're not there yet. You've got work to do. You've got work to do. So, the key is not to stop the work. The real problem isn't having an incomplete project, but when there's a work stoppage and the project isn't underway anymore. Whenever, you know, like Hebrews 5 and 6 talks about, whenever by this time we ought to be teachers, but we stop growing, we stop moving forward. We need to keep reaching, keep being, as 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, transformed by the image of, of the Lord. And so I want to talk about four steps in this process of construction. Four different steps that we can take. And the first one is to sharpen the edge. These are works, this is a project that we all need to individually do. This isn't work, um, today's lesson isn't about working on your spouse or working on your friends or your brother that you see all kinds of problems. Boy, he is under construction. This is about you. You are under construction. And so what do you need to do? I'm challenging you to look inward, to sharpen your edge. What an interesting phrase, sharpen the edge. This comes from Ecclesiastes chapter 10 and verse 10, which says, if the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength. But wisdom helps one to succeed. He says to sharpen the edge. You know, think of an axe you're using, a saw, a knife, and you sharpen the edge. Whenever you're, you're using a circular saw and you're cutting boards and it's not getting the bite that it used to get anymore. What do you do? Well, you reach into that Home Depot bag of replacement blades and you sharpen the edge. You put a new blade on it, right? 
you need to, it takes a moment away from cutting, right? And sharpening takes time. It, we may, may want to stop. We may want to avoid sharpening because it seems like you're not being as productive when you're sharpening. You're not cutting anymore. But what, what the preacher is saying here is you have to use more strength. If you don't sharpen, the work is harder. You don't do as well. You're not as fruitful and productive. And so wisdom helps one to succeed. The wise thing is to, you know, as, as our parents used to say to us, work smarter, not harder. And that means making time in your life, saving energy for just you to get better. How much are you investing in getting better? At developing skills that you don't already have. Not saying, well, that's just not my gift, but saying, how can I develop a new skill that I can use for the Lord? I'm not a teacher. Well, maybe, maybe you never will be, and that's okay. Not everybody is. But maybe, you know, I wasn't always a teacher. No one started, was born a teacher. But you can learn. You know, maybe, maybe you would love to cook meals for people that are needing meals, but I'm just not a, I'm not a cook. I don't know how to do that. Well, maybe you could learn. What can you learn? What can you develop? When was the last time that you read a book, a spiritual book, just for the purpose of growing? You weren't teaching a class. You weren't doing something that necessitated it. It wasn't part of like a, okay, this is required reading. Adrian's going to make us read this for the ladies' event or whatever it is. It's just something you say, I need to grow. And I think an area I need to grow in is my prayer life. I'm going to read. I've heard that this book is a really edifying book on prayer. How's your time in the Word? How's your daily Bible reading or your, your Bible study? Ongoing Bible study. How is your prayer life? See, the point is, as we are under construction, we need to have the wisdom to grow our productivity, to sharpen the edge, because that will make us more fruitful. But secondly, we need to do, this is an even deeper work, the work of squaring ourselves up two props here. So my dad, with his hammer, always had the speed square with him, and he, it was just like muscle memory. Slap it down, mark the pencil, cut, you know, constantly making sure everything, what this does, make sure it's what you're cutting is square, right? Or you take a level, right? Is this, is the bubble in the middle? <laughs> and it is. Excellent work. <laughs> you know, you're, you know, you can look. Is it plumb? Is it plumb? Is this wall plumb? Amos talks about metaphorically using holding up the plumb bob and the string to make sure that Israel is upright. There's this word in the Hebrew, yosher, and what this word means is straight. 
it can, it can refer to being plumb, um, up, like the upright frames for the tabernacle in Exodus 36 and verse 20, being straight up and down vertically. Or it can talk about being horizontally level, like in Isaiah 26, verse 7, God will make a level, something level. And it means being straight in Isaiah 40, verse 3. And in all of those senses, there's this idea of being square, like in the, in the, in the builder's definition, being square. But what God wants isn't, isn't just a square building. <laughs> what he's saying is he wants you to be straight. What he's saying is, there is a standard that you measure up to, that you measure around, upon, and make sure that you're not crooked. And whenever we're building something, if you, you, know, if you have a crooked wall, then gravity, there's laws in the universe that are, physics aren't going to allow that to stand unless it's designed to do so, and it could crumble. And so we make things according to the laws that God has created. Well, the same God who made an orderly universe with laws that make sense teaches us how to be upright within us. And that involves rules. Rules. I think people sometimes think, oh, Christian people, they're so obsessed with rules. What's the big deal? as if there's some kind of amorphous spirituality we're going to have that has no standard, no sense of uprightness, even though all of us know that honesty matters, that love matters, that rightness, holiness, truth, all of these things matter. God shows us the way, and he gives us his rules, not because he just loves bossing us around, though he would have the right to do that, but because he wants to show us the way to live rightly so that our house doesn't fall, so our life doesn't crumble. And so using the same word, you'll share the same word as the upright and the level and the plumb, the psalmist says, I will praise you with an upright, you'll share, heart, when I learn your righteous rules. What makes us upright as we praise the Lord, as we come before him with holy hands praising him? We learn his righteous rules and we, and we level our lives and we constantly check. Is there some way that I am being a little bit dishonest in the way I'm dealing with this? Maybe even dishonest with myself. I'm justifying myself. I'm finding people that agree with me on this. Is there a way in which I'm being selfish in the way I'm dealing with this particular person? Is there a way in which I'm kind of trying not to look at God's law about this particular thing and putting this one little part of my, my life, this little crooked part, I'm kind of building up some dirt around it so nobody has to look at it and I don't even have to look at it. Is there a way in which I am not straight and level and plumb and square and the Christian is, in our, in our very, the fundamental part of who we are, able, because of God's grace, to look honestly at ourselves. I mean, I am not saying it's easy, but this is a constant process we go through. Because God says, in 1 John 1, 8 to 10, that what he wants us to be with him is honest. I just want you to be honest when you come before me. 
Because if you're not honest about your sin, about where you're not upright, if you're not looking truly at the bubble, then you can't change. Then you're denying what is real about yourself and about God's standard of what's going to show us the way. And so we have to look and say, I acknowledge this. Whoever says that he's not sinned, he's a liar. But if we confess our sins, then he is faithful and just to forgive us. And so we look at ourselves and we look at God's word and we make sure that we are square. About character. But the third step is to secure. I love going down the the fastener aisle of Home Depot because there are, man, there's probably 8,000 different kinds of nails and screws and bolts and ways to attach things and hold it together. And you look and you find the right one. And if you have these fasteners, then the ceiling, we're not worried the ceiling's going to fall in, that that wall's going to crumble, that this thing is going to collapse because it is securely fastened. It is attached. Well, we need to be securely fashioned as well, securely fastened to the Lord. So, so we're not coming apart. You ever felt that way? Like, I, I am, I'm just coming apart right now. And the, the opposite of that is, is being grounded. And we just need to find our way constantly back to our faith in the Lord, our confident clarity about our faith and our relationship with God. So that we can say with Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, looking at the resurrection, we are steadfast, immovable, always abounding, in the work of the Lord. There's a passage I like about this. Again, most of these are from the Psalms because it's about heart work. In Psalm 112, the psalmist says, for the righteous will never be moved. They are secure. They are solid. They are attached. He will be remembered forever. He is not afraid of bad news. That is a kind of security we all need these days. Always have. His heart is firm, solid, attached. What are we attached to? Our confidence that we are strong enough to get ourselves through anything? No. He is trusting in the Lord. That is why his heart is firm. And his heart is steady. And he will not be afraid. We don't need to live in panic. As Isaiah says in Isaiah 7, do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy, but put your trust in the Lord and know he is strong. The one who holds history in his hand, the one who holds you in his hand, the one who brings a good end to all things. His heart is steady. The one who trusts in him is steady and will not be afraid. Then he goes to an interesting place. He says he has distributed freely is given to the poor. Well, what does that have to do with being secure? Paul quotes this passage in 2 Corinthians to encourage giving when he's talking about, you know, to the Corinthians about exhorting them to boldly give to the needs of the 
Judean church in 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 9. What is the, why, why is this related to a firm heart? Because in order to be truly generous and to give consistently, we have to trust that the Lord who has given in the past will give in the future as well. That he is the source of our blessings. And so we can give knowing God will continue to bless. We don't have to hoard. Hoarding is the opposite of this. And hoarding and, and fear and, and that kind of selfishness comes from an, unsecure, an insecure heart who, who is not grounded and rooted in the Lord. And finally, we need to sweep. You know, the end of every project is cleanup. And so I remember my dad was very, very intent on making sure that Adrian was not annoyed by our project still being, her house being thrown around. And we'd get out the shop vac and get out the broom and try to clean everything up and make it look as good as we could in the midst of the project. And the Bible talks about cleaning, being internally cleansed a lot. David, in his famous psalm, Psalm 51, that many of us have spent hard times praying to the Lord ourselves, his prayer after his sin with Bathsheba, he says, Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being. Purge me with hyssop. Hyssop is, is the plant, the shrub, that had this shrub-like, you know, leaf structure that would be like a brush and dip it in blood and sprinkle it. It would hold it like a brush. And you could sprinkle the blood or the water at times, but usually the blood to cleanse, to cleanse things in the temple, to cleanse whatever needed to be cleansed. And he says, cleanse me. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Notice he's making a prayer, but he's also stating his confidence that God's grace will be enough. Purge me, and I will be so white. I know I will be pure. Let me hear joy and gladness. Blot out all my iniquities. But then he prays something different. Something in addition to cleaning and sweeping everything up and making it removing the mar, removing the, the, the brokenness and the, and the dirt and the filth of our sin. He prays for God to create something. And this is the same Hebrew word as is used in Genesis 1, when God created the heavens and the earth. This is a different act of creation. After you cleanse me, create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit within me. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. This idea of cleaning, this idea of sweeping is not complete if we stop at, at, at just clean up. Um, there's a lot of things going on in this strange parable that Jesus tells in Matthew 12, but there's a connection to this idea that I think is helpful. Um, Matthew 12, 43 to 45, Jesus talks about this, this man who has this demon and the, the person is talked about like a house. And he says, the demon is removed, this unclean spirit. 
and he goes around, wandering around in the wilderness. And the man sweeps out the house. He empties it, he cleans it, he sets everything in order. And almost as if demons like a clean house. <laughs> almost like whenever we were about to move out of our house, I was talking about in the beginning, we fixed it up and made it nice for the person who's about to move in. This man had cleaned and ordered and made everything perfect. And the demon in the, out in the wilderness says, let me get seven of my best demon friends and come back and we'll all move in. And so the state of the house is worse than the first state. And there's lessons about Israel. There's lessons about different things there. But one thing we got to get is it's not enough just to clean out the old. We got to fill ourselves and what Jesus is wanting us to fill ourselves with is him. If he is present in the house, then the demon can't enter. He is the strong man. Fill ourselves with his way of life, the way of the cross, the way that he shows us. Fill ourselves with the Lord, and then we will be in a better state than we were at first. We clean out the old and fill ourselves and let the Lord create in us something new. I have been known to use duct tape to fix up a house. <laughs> I've been known to use it to fix up a car. I remember one time I was driving from Kentucky to Phoenix and I broke down somewhere in the middle of New Mexico and there were hoses spraying things out. I didn't, I don't, I know nothing about cars really. And I had in the, in the trunk a thing of duct tape and I just, you know, just everywhere, you know, let's put this everywhere. It's like the whole car was held together by duct tape, but it got us to Phoenix, not very much further though. And then you have to actually deal with the problem. And see, I think that we have a tendency sometimes to want to try to fix ourselves up like with duct tape, you know, there's a whole section of books called self-help. And I, you know, self, there's good self-help books. But if we're just trying to do some fixes on our own, or we're trying to even worse, just busy ourselves and not notice the problem or distract ourselves or, you know, try to orient ourselves in the wrong ways and fix ourselves up as with duct tape, we are missing the point. God's point, which is, I want to heal you. I don't want to just give you some aspirin and go to bed. I want to heal you of this problem, the sin problem, the death problem, the problem of your lostness. And that takes a work of grace that only God can do. He sent Jesus Christ, his son, to die, to heal us. He rose from the dead, defeating death, defeating sin, defeating Satan. God knows exactly who you are. You can't hide it. You don't need to hide it. What he wants is for you to honestly look at yourself, see who you are in the light of who he is, and turn to him. To say, I can't do it, but I know you can. I know you can actually heal and fix and build a life, a house that will stand. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 24, he who hears these words of mine and does them will be like 
a man who built his house on the rock. And whatever comes, all the storms, all the problems, he will stand. His house will stand in the end. You can turn to Jesus, repenting of your sins, trusting him as the Christ, the son of the living God, confessing him, being baptized for the remission of your sins, and walking with him in this constant process of learning to be more like him.